Good day and welcome to another special episode of the Offside Museums podcast. My name is Oke Ndibe. I'd like to welcome you on behalf of my co-host, Emeka Onyagwa. In today's episode, we're going to be looking at uh, disturbing developments that happened last week in Nigeria when the Nigerian president, Muhammad Buhari, met with relatives of passengers who were abducted on March 28th of this year from the Kaduna train station. We're also going to be looking at an interview that the pre- presidential spokesperson, Garuba Shehu, did with the BBC, where he made disclosures that should leave every Nigerian truly disturbed. You're welcome. That's switch it to the next iteration. <laughs> yeah, so it's an interesting week in Nigeria. Um, Buhari's reactions, yeah. um, everybody's reactions, actually, not just Buhari, but Buhari in this case and his spokesman, the way they handled the um, publicity, the way they handled being in leadership, leading Nigeria as a whole, yeah. was unbecoming yeah. in so many ways. So... <laughs> It, it was really, um, I mean, it was just a continuation of mediocrity. Mediocrity. Yeah, you know, I mean, um, there is a certain, I'm sure that there is a certain Buhari fatigue amongst Nigerians. Um, this man has been in office for seven plus years. Um, it's, it's turned out exactly the way that I had proposed when he was a candidate and uh, a lot of Nigerians were losing their heads um, um, just seduced by this whole mantra of change and uh, Buhari's supposed metamorphosis into a Rollins who was Mm. going to um, uh, jail corrupt politicians in the country and so on. And I knew that none of that was going to happen because... This man was being sponsored by the same politicians that he was uh, allegedly going to, uh, to, to send to jail. But so why are we talking about Buhari at a time when uh, a lot of Nigerians are in the mood of, okay, we're in a nightmare. We don't want to reflect on that nightmare. Let it just, you know, uh, run his course, and then um, somebody else will take over. The reason we sp- it's important to speak about this is that Buhari's story, Buhari has um, sort of brought Nigeria's leadership wars to a culmination, sort of he's epitomized everything that's wrong about leadership in Nigeria. But it's not just him, you know. It's every person who has run Nigeria to one degree or another has been a disaster and an apology of a leader. And um, but then the events of last week, which you know um, I might as well describe. So last week, after uh, five and a, four and a half months, Buhari finally, as if he woke up, 
as if he'd been on a different planet, uh, decided that an event that happened in, in Kaduna on March 28, when a group of bandits went into the train station and they grabbed people and uh, killed a few and uh, have held uh, dozens of them since then. I think that the um, president's um, spokesperson, the other one, Femi Adesino, actually uh, said that there are about 31 unaccounted for uh, of those uh, abductees. So, so this happened March 28. When such an event happens in a serious country, okay, everything, it's, it's almost, things don't quite come to a halt. But all the resources of law enforcement, of security, are mobilized to find the location of the victims to rescue them and then to possibly capture and prosecute the perpetrators of the crime. Buhari went to bed instead and woke up last week, okay, after four and a half months, and invited some of the relatives of those who are still being held in the bush. And by the way, uh, if you remember, uh, a couple of weeks ago, a, a video went viral of the captors just lacerating the victims in a wooded area uh, with uh, horse whips and, and canes and so on. So Buhari met with them. And a real leader, a compassionate leader, would have been a comforting presence in the midst of all the grief and all the just suffering. But here is Buhari reading a very cliche-reading cold statement to these people. Um, so the timing uh, for me was, was the first thing that stood out, but not the only thing. And then the same last week, Buhari's spokesman, Garba Shehu, did an interview with the BBC House of Service in which he revealed that the mastermind of those abductions in, at the Kaduna train station had made a demand that in exchange for releasing his victims, he wanted his wife, who was being held by the government, released, uh, and his wife was pregnant. And so Garbashehu told the BBC that his wife was taken to a hospital where she was delivered of twins, and then she and her twins were then released. Now, instead of doing what he'd undertaken to do, which is to release his own uh, captives, the terrorist then asked for an additional seven, six or seven, Garbashehu said, six or seven other detainees should be released. And they were again released to him. But he continued to hold on to... Uh, to his captives, this terrorist. And so, Garbashehu's lesson, for him, uh, he wanted Nigerians to know that the government has been working hard. Mm. You know, that the uh -huh. government has not been sleeping. Mm. But I was horrified reading this story. 
I really was horrified. I don't know what your reaction <laughs> is before I get to my reaction. I mean, it 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 shows it almost like shows a level of culpability. Almost like I almost felt like this is a person who is collaborating with these guys. Go kidnap these guys. We'll release your guys. We'll have an excuse. Like mm-hmm. I don't know in what world that works out. Where you release somebody in that kind of manner, yeah. no coordination, no. I mean, no nothing, zero. Just here you go. Mm-hmm. It it felt like these guys are working together to me. That's what I. That's one thing that I was thinking. That here is an inside job. That, and you you know, years ago, former President Jonathan startled the world when he said that Boko Haram was even in his government. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is, and I I do know that. Um, I met some years ago, I met um, a correspondent of a, of a foreign news organization in Nigeria. And he told me that he had talked to Nigerian soldiers who felt certain that some of their officers were um, embedded with Boko Haram. This was at a time when Boko Haram was just you know, taking territory after territory in the northeastern part of Nigeria, especially in Borono State. And so this guy said he interviewed soldiers who said that there are officers who send them out on a mission and somehow Boko Haram militants would ambush them and that they felt that somebody within the officer corps was sending them to be slaughtered and for their military hardware and weapons to be taken by uh, Boko Haram. So it's a sort of thing that you hear and it's it's so outlandish, it's so astonishing that you don't want to believe it. But how does... So Nigeria has had for decades a, 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 a police force, has had for decades security agencies, various security agencies, some we don't even know. Mm-hmm. And there's not one person out of those law enforcement and sec- security apparatus who, who could advise the government that as we release the, uh, the uh, our detainees, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that this terror linchpin mastermind has demanded in exchange for releasing the, the uh, doses holding, that we should have some kind of mechanism to assure that he carries on his own part, or that he executes his own part of the, of the bargain. So how does the government give, release the man's wife and his twins, and then the man turns out and moves the goalpost mm. and says, okay, you have to release seven more people. Mm-hmm. And the government then gives him the seven people. And the presidential spokesman is on the BBC complaining that the guy didn't keep his own uh, side of the bargain. (laughs) It's almost as if you thought you were dealing with, I don't know, did they think they were dealing with a a pastor, (laughs) a religious leader, a Buddhist monk? You know, somebody that you'd expect to honor his or her work. Yeah, maybe they were trying to play to the religious sentiments. Um, well, <laughs> I won't call it, Nigerians have a certain level of religious, a toxic religious sentiment. So maybe they were trying to play to that, that look, we did the, 
we did this and these guys didn't do that or you know this guy is not what they claim they are um yeah i mean that's clear yeah um you don't need somebody to tell you that people who go about kidnapping killing people you know kind of uh, those are not the people you deal with without a trust but verify um situation to quotes ronald reagan so i mean at this stage it's almost like it's it's more or less like at this point at least uh, there's a certain level of Buhari fatigue. Might it improve as we head towards the elections that people are going to try and hold the government more accountable? Maybe. Mm. But it just feels like people are done with the government. People want to talk about how they would either get the government out, get somebody in, or just simply um, find a transitional national government, or even in some cases just um, cannibalize, government, cannibalize the country into different segments outrightly without even bothering to ask the question ask the question to um um Nigerians mm -hmm. what do they want to do or give Nigerians a chance to have some kind of transitional rescue situation where they can sit down and try and put things in order and ask you know key groups in the country what to do because there clearly is a barrier for people are, I mean even hearing about this is like, well, at this point, it's like, what else is next with? I mean, Buhari. If anything can be worse than Buhari, is, is possible. Maybe Tinubu. Um, but yeah, watching yeah. Tinubu this week, mm -hmm. um, where he released the statement uh, on International Youth Today, um, there was so much further for a an alien an alien guy, a guy that is clearly not fit. A guy that clearly seemed even somewhat tribalistic in his um, shout-outs to, to the Niger Bob in in the way he said and in the in his in in the perception of what the way he he he, he came across, um, it almost feels like if Nigerian leaders, which they are very, which you you should say, like, you should always say, Nigerian leaders have a reputation have a reputation for trying to install somebody who is worse than the who they are yeah you know that might be the guy for mm -hmm. them yeah. it's it's uh let me uh, i want to return to to um to babangida for i mean to buhari for a moment mm -hmm. okay and um I, I want to read um i want to read to um to our audience um sort of the 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 what buhari said to um to, to these relatives, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, it's 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 mind blown. <laughs> yeah. Magic. Yeah. Uh, so here is um, here is a president. Um, uh, yes. So here is President Buhari speaking. Mm -hmm. Okay. First of all. If you are a leader and and you are face to face with just uh, relatives of people who have been kidnapped for months, who are beset, besieged with grief and anxiety and terror, who have not slept, just as their relatives have not slept. Yeah. Because if you can imagine, uh, just put yourself in a position where you are forced to sleep out in the open forest. Uh, when it rains, the rains drench you. You haven't taken a shower. You haven't taken a bath mm -hmm. for months. 
we're looking at almost five months. Food is irregular. Um, I don't even know what they are doing for food. When you are sick, you're on your own. Uh, you could be beaten out of your sickness if you don't move fast enough, if they, your captors try to move you. And so you'd expect that somebody who knows what it means to be a leader in the presence of these relatives mm -hmm. who, are who are suffering so much would try to speak from the heart, would drop every written script and just talk to people and yeah. find out their stories, find out how they are coping. This is part of Buhari's speech to the group. He said, it is understandable that emotions typically run high. We have received several suggestions about the deployment of little military force in extracting those still being held in captivity. This option has indeed been considered and evaluated. However, the condition to guarantee a successful outcome and minimize potential collateral damage could not be assured and therefore that cause of action had to be reluctantly discarded. My primary concern is to get everyone released safe and unhurt. Hmm. When you listen to this, Put yourself in the position of the relatives who are sitting there as their president gets a, gets a piece of paper to read to them. Mm -hmm. It's an insult. Okay? It's cold. It's, it's unfelt. Okay? There's no deep feeling in it. There's no comfort that you get from it. So, so this man just spews words that have no meaning. Oh, my, uh, my priority is to get everybody safe and unhurt. Mm. Okay? How is he going to ensure that? He's had two opportunities. He's, he's given away the two best cars that he had. This, the mastermind of this kidnap had his wife in the grips of the government. The government was holding his wife. Mm. And he said, I want my wife back. And they handed the wife back to him. Then he said, give me seven more people. Guess what? The government could have said, okay, release at least some people. two-thirds two of those you are holding. We've released your wife. If you release some, then we'll release this seven. No. The government said, oh, you want seven more? Here, take seven more. And, and so, as you suggested, I'm seeing more and more, it's, it's, it's almost inescapable yeah. to suggest and to suspect that there was this inside job uh, where the people who were negotiating with this guy just were working for the man rather than negotiating on, the ba on behalf of their victims. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, it just felt like, um, you know, they, they just needed an excuse to release them. Um, because you even think about it, the, the kind of... Um, efforts and planning and everything that it takes to have even executed that job even if they have the weapons which a lot of those weapons are coming in from syria they're coming in from libya which is why i'm you know petrified with the way they have the, the u.s government is gone against ukraine to start supplying weapons yeah but that's another story too yeah. but um they're coming in there you see the videos you see but even with all those things you need a certain level of coordination with government officials mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. be able to 
post all these things they are pulling off and they are and then they get them and if you don't need to to me i don't even think you need to be um trained in 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 uh, counterterrorism or um uh you know security situations of any kind to just understand common simple common sense you can't just say hey okay where do you want us to drop this thing mm-hmm. so we'll draw then you guys would be nice yeah. guys and all right all right man okay well good clearly you don't need to be but but somehow some way the only people in the world who um need need to understand this um need somebody to tell them these are the ones running the government yeah that just seems very unlikely which um you know i mean uh when you think about it what just transpired what Shehu uh, revealed. Um, I don't know what's more frightening, whether it is that this happened, you know, in other words, that they that that the terrorists were able to get the government to meet all their requests and they did not have to do a thing um, in exchange, or the way that Garbashehu himself misread the, the, the import, the meaning of what had happened. So he thought that if he told the story at, uh, to the BBC, that Nigerians would say, oh, our government is trying. <laughs> uh, okay, they are releasing all these uh, you know, deta- detainees, yeah. right? To that, 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 the, that the mastermind of this Kaduna mm-hmm. carnage wanted released, you know. Yeah, and he says, oh, you know, so people who think that we're not doing anything should know that we released all these people, right? So, it was, once I heard that story, once I read about that interview, it was clear to me that the story was one of abject ineptitude, incompetence, and perhaps criminal culpability on the part of members of the government, Okay. So, as I have told you, that this is actually, that this man, that Bu- the Buhari team was Ronaldo'd. It's like, it's, it's like, it's as if you had a full, a, 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 a football match, okay, mm-hmm. between the great uh, Ronaldo on the one side, and you put kids, kindergarten kids on the other side with him. Mm-hmm. And so he dribbled all the kids and went and scored twice. Yeah. You know? Um, so, so the Buhari team was ronaldo twice. Okay? And how does it happen? So, so part of the reason we should discuss this is that it's not just Buhari. I actually doubt that Buhari was part of the, um, the granular um, phase of the negotiations. Uh, I'm sure that Buhari signed off on the release of, um, of, of the terrorist's wife and his twins, mm-hmm. newborn twins. Um, so it's not Buhari's failing. Ultimately, he takes full responsibility. But there are officials mm-hmm. paid by Nigerians, okay, whose job is to ensure that this kind of failure did not happen. And all of them, all of them, couldn't secure 
the release of a single person. So there are, of course, a few of the um, a few of the of the abductees have been released, mm. but only after negotiation between their families or their friends and their captors. Yeah. So, in a sense, uh, as far as the, the the relatives are concerned, they are on their own. In fact, what Buhari said to them. Yeah. Uh, even though he would deny it as essentially, hey, we've done our best, we've screwed up. We had two goals against us by this ragtag, perhaps uneducated man, but who thought, used his thinking cap, right? Mm. How can I get the better of the government? So you're on your own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, um, it's, uh, um, reminds me of um what was I even anyway it it's it just reminds me of one a audio mm. that was um circulating this week on the Minister for Transport, I believe Rotimi Amechi. I don't yeah. know what former governor, former everything. I, at this point in time, after twenty five years, most of these guys are formal everything. Former something. You know, uh, Amechi is formal, 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 formal. But he was talking early in the administration about how inept and clueless and visionless Buhari is. That you know, you'd go in and you talk with him, or earlier on, I don't know, it wasn't so recent. You go home and talk to him and. He doesn't care. He's going to do what he's going to do, and that they're suffering in the land. And you know, it, it tells you the kind of, and he's still in the government, obviously. It tells mm-hmm. you the kind of people who are around him. Um, but at this point in time, I just, I, I feel one hundred percent like um, Buhari should take leave, step down, yeah, whatever. You know, I mean, um, I think it's that bad. Yeah, I don't see the point of. I don't see what use mm-hmm. he like like you said last week would be the question is whether boy boy should have been gone last week yeah i don't see what use he needs to mm-hmm. and it's not even because i think the country is in, in any way shape or form salvageable if mm-hmm. or shibanjo or whoever takes over or at least if it's like a transitional rescue government like you've quote like you've this then okay that, that makes some sense it's just the fact that there is a complete waste of life, complete waste of generations of people in the country just sitting down. Nobody's doing anything. The country's not moving. Um, I was just out in the Nigerian diplomat house who passed away in mysterious circumstances. Um, you know, he was eventually found in the river. And even the wife was talking about how they had been talking about planning on looking at what's going to happen sooner or later and that they have a, a house in in Nigeria, and they are looking at just selling the house and forgetting about Nigeria and mm-hmm. staying here permanently. Mm-hmm. And that's the sentiment you see with a lot of people who even have properties there. Mm-hmm. You know, even the ones who um, maybe inherited the properties from their their parents or something. A lot of those properties are locked up now. A lot of a lot of their survivors, maybe the wife or the husband, a lot of these guys, regular people, don't even if they have anybody overseas, they're outside the country. They are, they are, they are, um, most of my relatives and distance, they are, they are like, okay, I'm out. Some of them are planning to come back. Some of my relatives are planning to come back and vote for Peter Obi. But from now to this thing, they don't, they're not enjoying the place. They don't want to be there. Um, it's a complete failure of every single, and I guess every single institution and everything. And it's just like, look, it's pointless. Like, what's this man, what's use 
Yeah. You know, if you have any value for human life, mm-hmm. this man has no yeah. business being there anymore. And of course, you know, I mean, uh, if if what happened in Kaduna, the transition were an isolated development, we could actually say, okay, uh, this sort of thing could happen in any country, even in this in the United States, in Britain, in all kinds of parts of Europe, from time to time, that this spectacular crime could be committed with audacity, audaciousness, but. Just last week as well, uh, a major major business newspaper in Nigeria called Business Day reported that between July of last year, July of 2021 and June of 2020, 3,420 Nigerians were abducted. Hmm. About 500 of them were killed in the process of being adopted. Okay, mm-hmm. that those who had abduct, abducted them had initially uh, asked for, I think, six point something billion naira, mm. but ended up getting something a, a little above 600 million naira. Yeah. And the paper was saying that these payments, you know, sometimes families have to mortgage everything they own, land, cars, every asset, yeah. in order to pay off. Uh, kidnappers, abductors, and so on, that this development continues to deepen poverty in a country where people spend 60-something percent of their income on food. So most Nigerians spend in excess of 62% of their income just to eat. Okay, Mm -hmm. So imagine now if if your relative is abducted and, you know... um, it used to be that the victims of our, of kidnaps and so on were well-to-do Nigerians. But then uh, the thin abductions, kidnaps, actually came to a point where they have replaced uh, what used to be incessant armed robbery. You know, So there are c- cases where a woman selling a car by the roadside has been abducted. You know? mm. And so the family could pay a few thousand naira uh, for her release, but that's a chunk of their income, yeah. you know. So Buhari has, after running on the promise that he, yeah. so as, as, as you know, I mean, um, so for here you have Buhari who ran on this um, bragging rise that he understood the security um, environment and that he was going to send Boko Haram packing and it was going to secure every piece of, of uh, territory in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And yet under his, uh, under his watch, the country has fallen into a more abs- uh, abysmal um, state of insecurity yeah. uh, with uh, some areas of Nigeria now, no-go areas for citizens, and for the police, and where you have to pay off unknown gunmen and members of some amorphous group if you want to do any activities at all. Yeah. I mean, I was talking with um, a friend in Abuja, and um, it was, he articulated it like, um, there's so many ways people go broke in this country. I mean, especially when you're not connected to the national um, post, which is essentially the... the 
the money they should we should be using to build the country. Um, yeah, and one of the, the the number one way you go broke is kidnapping. Yeah, your relative gets kidnapped. I was just saying it like, yeah, you you, you maybe you go from the U.S. Your kids get kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easier for them to even want to kidnap your kids than kidnap you because at least you will make moves. You, even if you come back here, yeah, you have a thousand or two two thousand in your account or wherever. You know, you go sell your property. You go sell what you have. You know, you you. So it's it's the same way in Nigeria. You get this thing. You're going to sell your property. Yeah, more than likely because it's even less structured in Nigeria. If you have a house or something or this thing, you're more than likely going to sell it for far less you know, than, than it's valued. Than it's valued. You know, at least here there's some, you know, whether it's here or the UK, there's some kind of structure. There's at least, even if you're selling it in a bad market or you're selling it in a rush, you'd still be somewhere more, you're more than likely going to be somewhere in the ballpark, right? Mm-hmm. But they are just going to go in and be like, all right, this house is supposed to be worth 200 million. Anybody like I give me 45 million. Um, pay off. The- you know, I need to you know, pay off, you know. So, that's number. That's a, a a a, and people are going through these things, and um, it's crazy because it would have been great to. It, it, it's it's almost analogous because it's like it feels like the two candidates coming uh, behind who people want, mm-hmm. and are going to are going to be worse than Buhari is, um, by far. Yeah. Um, to me, I think. I don't. I think Peter Obi is better of the three, and he won't be worse than Buhari. However, I think the problem of Nigeria is just way more than what. Um, I think all the structural problems have come to the fore. So, short of us of Nigeria having some sort of way of getting a massive amount of money supply, that the citizens um, are just going to benefit. If you, because the taps would have to be torn down for them to benefit. Short of that, when you look at it historically, whether it's any empire or wherever you want to, or any country that has become a country, whether it's UK or Spain or wherever, where you have slavery or the Roman Empire, where you have trade or wherever, I don't know what it might be, but short of like um, aliens coming out to bring some precious metals, I don't know, maybe, you know. Yeah, you know, I mean, the, the truth is that if Nigeria had, again, my favorite word is imaginative leaders, mm-hmm. okay? Because you actually cannot, you can't build a space and make it really grand and attractive unless you can first see it through your mind's eye, okay? Uh, but the tragedy we have in Nigeria is that we've had for too long Presidents and governors who think that the measure of an achievement is to build roads. Mm. So I, over the years, I've, I've, you know, sort of followed the um, 100-day report, first-term report of governors, even of presidents. And when you ask them what is your achievement, it's like their number one signal achievement is, oh, I constructed so many kilometers of roads. Yeah. And Nigerians have fallen for that scam. Okay, I, I've, I've told this story before of being on Ben Television in London, being interviewed, and it was during Jonathan's administration, and I was saying that Jonathan had very little 
achievement to speak of. And uh, it was a calling show. So somebody called in and said, oh, you know, you have to be, you know, the Nigerian thing, you have to be <laughs> objective and you have to be constructive. Uh, Jonathan has achieved a lot. I said, okay, name his achievements. He said, oh, he's building roads. And I said to him, you live in, London, in the UK, right? He said, yes. I said, have you ever heard the mayor of London mm-hmm. or the British prime minister name building roads as their achievement, as an achievement. And he said to me, you cannot compare Nigeria and, uh, and England. Mm-hmm. And I said, why not? I said, the Nigerian president is, is paid more than the British prime minister. Okay, mm-hmm. yep. Nigerian senators are paid more in the year than the US president. Think about that. Yeah. In fact, I think that members of the House of Reps at least a few years ago, we are paid like two or three times more than the annual salary of the American president. So why is it that we pay our, you know, touts, <laughs> unthinking, unimaginative, ill-educated, unenlightened politicians? Why do we pay them so much? And yet when somebody says they're not performing, citizens rise up and say, oh, you can't compare them to Britain and to America. But yes, we should pay them as if they were geniuses, okay? So, so I told this guy, mm. I said, indeed, we should compare our leaders to the best in the world because we pay them as if they were the best. And his re- response was uh, the normal cliche, oh, Rome was not built in a day. You know, so there's mm. a certain kind of, you know, and again, it, it has to do with our educational system. Yeah. It's accustomed us to a certain um, indolence and laziness yeah. of the mind. So Rome was not built in a day. So somebody says it and thinks, well, I've made a profound point. And I said to them, when we talk about Rome being built, not being built in a day, you are looking at the grandeur and the scale and the ambition of ancient Rome. Okay? But I said, so it took decades to build that Rome. But then we have the template. And once you have the template for doing something, it's like the Chinese. Sometimes they build a bridge a very impressive bridge in a matter of weeks, okay? Mm-hmm. So once a template for doing something is there, you don't have to spend as many years as the original mm-hmm. uh, architects and builders spent, right? Yep. So if I'm building an experimental house yeah. and it takes me three years to do it, yeah. at the end of this, at the end of it, at, at the end of it, you have a template for how it was built. If you take possession of that template, you can build it like in months. Should be. So if you then say, okay, it took, okay, three years to build, so I'm going to take three years to do my own because that's, <laughs> then that's laziness, yeah. okay? So, and part of what the, the sort of the discussion that we have today about this uh, Buhari administration and how they were Ronaldoed by, by a ragtag, perhaps uneducated, Mm. Um, uh, militant in the bush somewhere. If one man, okay, Mm -hmm. if one man 
was capable of dribbling the government round and round, outwitting, outsmarting the, the entire machinery of the Nigerian government. All the president, his ministers, his permanent secretaries, his security chiefs, his police chiefs. If one man could get them, could put them at the top of, you know, at the tip of his finger and just swirl them around at his pleasure. Mm. Consider this. Nigeria often goes into negotiations with the Chinese, negotiations with uh, with the British, mm -hmm. negotiations with the European Union, negotiations yeah. with America, okay, where they bring their best. Negotiations even with Cameroon, mm -hmm. okay. How did we lose Bakasi? Okay. <laughs> um, how, you know, negotiations with Ghana, with other African countries. So there are people who take themselves seriously. You know, there's this picture that, again, went viral, but lots of pictures like that where you find Nigerian government officials with the Nigerian president uh, in a foreign country, say in Germany, mm -hmm. meeting, Nigerian government officials meeting with their German counterparts. You see the German officials with papers in front of them, which they have read. These are proposals. They know what they want out of this negotiation. They come prepared. You look at the Nigerian side, everybody, the best that you can see is that they are wearing $30,000, $50,000 wristwatches to mm -hmm. show that uh, I'm a big man, right? Mm -hmm. So they're just sitting there. Um, sort of reminds you of an event that I immortalize in my first novel, Arrows of Rain, which mm -hmm. is... Um, based on an apocryphal story, a story whose uh, historical accuracy is not uh, established. But there is this story that I think Nigeria's first foreign minister, post-independence, had gone to a UN gathering where they were talking about... Judge Awachiku. Right? Uh, yeah, that's... that's um, yeah. So where they were, I think, discussing some major issue, maybe nuclear disarmament. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, so this Nigerian minister famously, you know, sat down, hugged his belly, and uh, started <laughs> sleeping. And so that at one point, reporters went to him and said, um, uh, what's your position uh, about these talks, these negotiations? And he said, well, I wish to assure you that we've come with an empty mind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so uh, you know, again... It's a story that was told. Uh. I don't, I cannot, uh, I cannot um, uh, uh, verify, uh. <laughs> you know, its authenticity. So that's why I said it's apocryphal. But mm. it's one of those stories that are, that remind you of the incompetence, mm. the unseriousness of Nigerian politicians, yeah. which is a the tragedy of our country, right? Yeah. It's a tragedy, tragedy of our country that, you know, so I'm wondering, when we sit down and we negotiate with the Chinese, okay, they want to do, oh, we're going to build you the uh, best road you've ever seen, uh, but uh, sign here. Yeah. Do our leaders who go there say, wait a minute, let's go and study it and say to themselves, are our interests 
ultimately served. Mm. So if the, the Nigerian government could not serve the interests of Nigerians, of Nigerians who were kidnapped and who have been suffering for months in the bush, mm -hmm. the Nigerian government could not secure their release when it had the carrot to give to their kidnapper, then how do we even engage with serious nations when we have negotiations? Yeah, yeah I mean, those stories of um, um, the sleeping diplomats, that's... Um, that's uh, sleeping in negotiations. That's a standard. <laughs> That's like standard. Yeah, coming with an empty mind. You go in, you, you, you hear it. And you know, I mean, you would say building roads is not an achievement. I would say, well, the exceptions to the rule, but Nigerians don't meet those exceptions. What, yeah. what might be the exceptions? Good example might be if you were um, a government that was key to building the Eurotunnel between Absolutely. England and France. That's, That's an achievement. Yeah. Um, if you are... Um, part of a government that, for instance, goes into, Ni uh, hypothetically, <laughs> goes into Nigeria and re revamps um, air travel. Yes. The way it should be. Because mm -hmm. if you go online now, especially with the um, enthusiast communities, um, a lot of them even actually go to Nigeria to make videos on Nigerian air travel, which is absolutely disastrous um, for the most part. Not every single, but a lot of the airlines, a lot of the distance, you go in there, um, big names, um, but the air travel um, in a lot of a lot of cases are lacking. So if somebody went in there and revamped mm -hmm. that, there's then that's that's um, that kind of infrastructure development. Mm -hmm. And when I say revamp, if you ask me, okay, specifically, is that that's too vague? Go in. The airports are atrocious, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. um, every year, money is allocated for these airports. Nothing is done. Yeah. So you patchwork. Patchwork. Patch here, of patch something there. that is already Distant. in terrible, in disrepair. Yeah. So, so, so you are patching, you are patching ugliness. Yeah. So you don't even need too much. Um, you already have a situation where, for instance, some of the money has finally found its way, like in Lagos, to be MMM2, mm -hmm. uh, the new wing. But nobody's moving there. Why? Bureaucracy, corruption. Um, people are trying to gouge the operator, so most of the airlines still use the old mm. terminal, which is absolutely horrendous at this point in time. Mm -hmm. um, you have some new terminal, some new airports like in Portacourt, where, for instance, like Portacourt now, they revamped the airport, they designed it, they had um, 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 a very good architectural firm to design inside which the guy made a lot of videos. He used to walk out here. He, he, he lives out there. And what's the net effect? You have a lot more international flights now going to Portacourt. So even like the last time I was in Nigeria with Lutanza, they stopped me in Abuja. The same flight that stopped in Abuja first still flew all the way to Portacourt to oh take God. passengers because they have um, a base of people who are willing to use the airport, not just mm -hmm. stop in Abuja. Mm -hmm. So if you went in and you revamped all these airports, Lagos, Portacourt, Enugu, Enugu, he has like Ethiopian Airlines, and you did that revamp, to the point that there is sanity mm -hmm. in Nigerian travel. You don't have seven to ten people when yeah. you land. Um, was it was there for the boys now? Mm -hmm. Harassing, disturbing, um, making you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, you know. You go, you arrive in in any Nigerian airport. You go to use the uh, the toilet. Yeah, as many uh, passengers do first thing when they exit. 
um, you know, somebody cleaning the toilet is going to say, ah, God will bless you, sir. You know, and it's exactly. all like, give me money. What yeah. do you have for me, sir? You know, so. If you sanitize yeah, all so that during your tenure, you come out and yeah. say, well, part yeah. of my achievement was I began with sanitizing. Then, yeah, yeah. we're going to sit down and be like, mm-hmm. well, yeah, this is what you should do. But yeah. we give you kudos for at least doing what you should do. It's like and having. Doing it, and doing it well. Yeah, it's like having, well. having kids and they, they, they do well in school. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, you look at the report card. They're like, oh, okay, at least, mm-hmm. all right, you you should improve here, you should improve here, but yeah. you're doing well. Yeah. You know, you can pat the person yeah. on the back. But the way Nigerian officials have theirs is like, they construct the most um, mundane, regular roads, regular yeah. stuff. Which gets washed off after one rain, yep. one rainy season, okay? So this whole roads that they claim, it's sometimes I call it just painting the road black. Very true. You know, so they just grade the road, they paint them with very thin uh, film of tar. Yeah. And so um, a vehicle, even a medium-sized vehicle, breaks on the road, it's, the tire just washes off, you know, scrapes off the, 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 the tar, mm-hmm. and then it rains and there are gullies all over the road. And yet this is what our, our so-called leaders, and, and when I speak about leaders in Nigeria, I really cringe. Because we don't have leaders. I don't know. Rulers is what I'll call them because they behave more like rulers. And um, But it, it, it's, it's really disturbing that we have, you know, these mediocrities running our lives who can't, who can't secure the release of dozens of captives with, when they had something with which they could negotiate, which they negotiated away and then just hand. I mean, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's, mm. you know, what it is, is, is like, um, you know, like if you sent a child, you know, which happened sometimes in, in uh, you know, years ago in Nigeria, you know, you, you handed a child a big um, uh, sum of money, and you say, go and buy me bread. So they go and buy bread with 100 naira in the times when bread was maybe 5 naira. And, and the bread seller is, uh, is a crook. Yeah. He gives the child, instead of 95 naira in change, he gives the child 10 naira. So the child comes back. And you say, oh, where's the change? He said, this is what they gave me. And you go and meet the man. The man says, oh, I, I gave him 95, right? Mm-hmm. So, except that in this case, the Nigerian government, <laughs> you know, gave away everything and they didn't even secure the release of one person. So it's almost mm-hmm. as if there are people within the government who perhaps are getting paid off, either for ideological reasons, they're on the side of ideological, meaning also religious ideology, on the side of the kidnappers who want them to keep their victims or just sheer incompetence. But it's, it's you know, that kind of incompetence is, is incomprehensible to me. And it's that it would happen and then the presidential spokesperson just without shame or a sense of irony tells the story. And it tells the story to illustrate that 
we are working very hard. <laughs> yeah, we've been releasing people to these terrorists. Yeah, running it's backwards. Just, it's just that they have not met us halfway. They, you know. Yeah. Oh. It's like um, you know telling you that. Uh, I mean, one thing is I, I just feel they're they're culpable, but another thing is like somebody just coming out to tell you, or maybe they don't understand that people see them as being culpable, yeah. but also telling you that. Yeah, all of the starting block and everybody's running forward, but you're trying to run backwards. Yes. Like, you know, you guys should clap for me. Like, I, I'm running, yes. running backwards. Yes, like, yes, like, yes. Guy, you need to, um, you need to understand. Yeah. If you're culpable, just them, yeah. which looks likely. Yeah. Um, you need to stop trying to talk to people like they're talking to a whole bunch of... Idiots. Yeah. As so. if people can't see through your game, yeah. you know? And, uh, yeah, talking about, you know, running backward is like resetting the rules so that in a race you come last and you raise your hand as a winner and you say hey i was first from behind you know so i won you know give me the medal okay yeah. I, um so it, it wasn't it was a very for me dispiriting despairing week yeah a week in which one was reminded in a very embarrassing way about just the the perils of being Nigerian and how you suffer on behalf of the country. You just Nigeria is pain yeah. to its citizens, yeah. and and so I mean, as you said, there are all kinds of prospects, you know, um, which you know we've said we'll talk about at some point. You know that there is the process of balkanization, yeah. uh, de facto going on as we speak you know um more and more states are setting up their security apparatus you know so a de facto state police um which is not allowed under nigerian law um but they, they just the center no longer holds you know the whole idea of a country is uh it's it's i don't know i mean it's one and trust me you know the the frustrating thing is you know so i have a friend mm-hmm. who always tells me oh you know can't you find something positive good to talk about nigeria and trust me i try yeah and and there are positive things happening right but those on, positive on things an, on individual levels. On individual maybe. levels. Yeah. So you look at the art scene, you see our musicians, you see our filmmakers, you see our writers thriving, you see our intellectuals doing wonderful things around the world. The humanities in Nigeria is thriving, the um just even the medical survival. professionals, yes. the you know, people are surviving. Yeah, people yeah, are, yeah. are doing great. But as a collective yeah. as a collective it's a well, it's a narrative of, of And I would rather People like us be the ones telling the stories than say people that have invested interest and see us as their competition. Yeah. Um, all of, all around the globe, whether it's other ethnic groups in Africa or congregations here in America, where they might call themselves whatever. Um, you know, you have certain Black American groups who try to congregate as like as if they're a tribe mm-hmm. who would love who love to obviously attack Nigerians. Mm. Um, but I'd rather tell the story of what's happening, the what, yeah. the where, the why, mm-hmm. um, than have some other person tell the story mm-hmm. for purely much malicious purposes. That's right. Um, That's right. Know, so, yeah. And 100%. we can't we can't hide yeah. um, 
what's not working, what's in plain sight, and especially not when our leaders demonstrate day after day um, uh, this this tragedy. Yeah, know? yeah. And that's that's what happened last week. You know, so last week was just an Olympian display of incompetence, of ineptitude, of absolute confusion yeah. by the government. The government came out, the president came out and thought that he was uh, doing a good turn by meeting the victims, but you know he came across as cold and disconnected and nonchalant. And for his spokesman to confess to a man, a lone man dribbling the entire, every resource of the, of the Nigerian government, dribbled them like Ronaldo and Messi <laughs> will dribble uh, a secondary school uh, football team, yeah. an elementary school football team, <laughs> right? Dribbled them mercilessly, scored yeah. at will. And uh, this, you know, Shehu, Garba Shehu was telling the story like a story of triumph, or we've been working hard. Anyway, so. Um, you, you, I'm sure that you felt watching us. You felt our pain. Um, it's, it, it spells out. I mean, it ultimately points to the to the idea that we have to find, um, we have to find a way to rescue this space called Nigeria. Um, and if we can't, because it's not inevitable that that this is possible. If we can't, we should face up to it and. Uh, Basically, decide how to pack it up. Yeah. 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 So, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us again on this special episode. And uh, we look forward to welcoming you again soon. Yep. All right.